Joshua chapter 5, something that's been stirring in me the past couple of months really is God's been saying this over and over, believe the unbelievable and receive the impossible. Believe the unbelievable and receive the impossible. Sometimes I think we've taken the word of God and we've genetically, spiritually altered Christianity to suit our needs, our wants, and our culture. And so what's happened is the fire in the life that the church and the the influence that the church had has been diminished because we've watered it down and because we've neglected what it is that God has wanted us to do. When are we going to step up, really, and believe God for what He said, not for what we think He said? When are we going to really take Jesus at His word when He said, listen, it's very simple. The thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Bad. Bad devil. But I, Jesus, have come that you might have life And have it more abundantly. Good Jesus. So the devil is bad. And the Lord is good. So I said the devil is bad. But the Lord is good. God is good. And the devil is bad. So then why when bad things happen do we attribute it to God? Well it's God's sovereignty. The Lord is good, I switched, the Lord is good and the devil is bad. Just because bad things happen to us at times, let's not give that the wrong acknowledgement, let's give it the right acknowledgement. But then when the good things happen in our life, you know the bad things happen in our life and it's like our whole entire being, it's like we're inspired and then people around us are inspired to really blame God. But then when the good things happen, like you sell a building for a million dollars and never had to enter into negotiation, now we want, we just, oh, thank you, Jesus. We get a compliment, and it's like we, you know, it's like we've lost the ability to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, honey, for doing that for me. Thank you, darling, for doing that. Thank you, Langston, for doing that. I, I, got, I got something in the mail this week. I don't know who did it. I don't know who got it for me. But one of the, one of the men, that one of the preachers that I, ministers, pastors that I follow, one that I've followed for years that's speaking, that has spoken to the life of this church, I don't have a personal relationship with him, but I've met him once. Love the man. And he wrote a new book. And I told April this week, I said, I, I, I got, I'm going to get that book. I want to get that book. And wouldn't you know it, the UPS man showed up to our house with a package made out to me. Because I'm the disciple the Lord loves. And I opened that package and there is the book. And I said to myself, out loud, I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You didn't even have to do that, but he blessed me with that book. I started reading that book, and so did Abe. We started listening. But I said, and then the girl said, well, who sent it to you? I'm just going to think, I'm just going to say Pastor Chris Hodges sent me that book. That's what it is. He sent me that book. Not really. 
but I like to think that. But the Lord, listen, the Lord gave me that book. I st- it's the small things to me sometimes that really bless me that the Lord does. He's just like, I'm, I'm proud of it. I love you. Here, here's your book. You didn't even ask for it. I gave it to you. I was like, man, I like that. I wonder if that'll work on some other stuff. He loves you. He loves you so much. He loves us so much. You've got to, I don't, I don't want a, I don't want just a relationship. I want fellowship with my father. And I said, in myself, I think it's one of the, I won't say one of the few times, but I'm getting used to saying it more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for providing the sale of this building that nobody, everybody said we wouldn't be able to sell it. Thank you. Believe the unbelievable and receive the impossible. What are you believing? Listen, if you can believe for it, then it's, then it's, if what you're believing for is not unbelievable, then it's not faith. Joshua chapter 5. If what you're believing for is not unbelievable, then it's not faith. It's sight. Joshua chapter 5. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint lives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. And so Joshua did that. Skip on down. To verse 9, then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten of the produce, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass that when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him, and and with a sword drawn. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you here for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, not a lieutenant, not a private, the commander. How big you reckon the commander, how big you reckon the army of the Lord is? And he fell down on his face and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord of the armies said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands, its kings and the mighty men of valor. Believe the unbelievable and receive the impossible. The thing that God had promised to those children, to those people 40 years earlier. Actually, years before that. To Abraham, when he said, blessed will you be for all those generations And then he said, let my people go. And he let them go. And they went through the desert. What should have took 14 days took 40 years. Why? Because of religious thinking. Because of bondage thinking. 
that same promise, he turned to Joshua, the one who said, oh, we got this. The Lord has got our back. They don't, their defenses have been taken from them. I don't know how old. At that time, he was already an older man. I think he was in his 40s maybe when he crossed over with the other 12, with the other 11. And Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we got this. We can do this. And the other 10 said, mm, no, they, they got some big giants over there. This was the same man. And now the, uh, the angel of the Lord came to him, the captain of the army of the Lord, and said, look, it's yours. What is it in your life that you're, let me tell you this, let me say it this way. If what you're believing doesn't shock the mess out of those around you, then it's probably not faith. What has God said to you and what have you covered up and what have you put to the side because of unbelief, because of what other spirit? We serve a God that parted the water, not once, but twice for these people. Your people, our people, us, usins. The same God that did that is the same one that does for us. And he wants us. The only thing he's waiting on is for us. To believe. I want to stretch your faith this morning. I want you to take your faith and I want you to stretch it. Almost like if you were trying to get ready, you know, get ready to run. Here we go. Get, I should get Lainey up here. Boy, she could do a, she could show y'all how to stretch. She could take her leg, she could take her leg and wrap it up and pull it up behind her thing like that. If I tried to do that, y'all have to carry me out of here. I'm trying to get you to stretch. Come on, stretch with me. Stretch your faith. What you believe in God for? A hundred dollars? You need to stretch it. I'm just taking you on the journey that I've been going on. Is it too much for you and I to believe God that we can be out of debt in one year? Now listen, wait before you say yes. No, it's not too much. Including your house. Is it too much? Is it too much for us to stretch our faith and say, you know what? You promised me that mountain. You promised me that good land. And I don't, I don't know how. It's not my responsibility to figure out how. It's my responsibility to believe for it. It's not your responsibility to produce it. It's your responsibility to believe for it. It's not our responsibility to pay for it. That's his responsibility. Our responsibility is to just believe for it. That thing, that, uh, that amount of money that you're believing for. That thing. It's not your responsibility to figure out how to pay for it. It's not. How in the world are we going to sell this? I don't know. We got together as elders. We knew that's what the Lord said. We didn't know. Lord, that's your business. Our business is like Dad Hagen used to tell us. Just keep the switch of faith on. Lord, I don't know how, but you got this. And you just walk on and you live life and you do life. And every time you think about it, and every time he brings a thought, and every time he brings an accusation, you say, I don't know, but I'm, he's, he's doing it. Right? You, you're stepping into a, another level of what y'all been believing God for as a family. Right? Another step. It's not the maybe what you really, really want, but it's a whole lot closer. Right? It's another step. Why? Because faith, stretching our faith. Is it too much? For us to believe, I, 
I called Casey the other day and, and I had a word for him and I said, I talked to a friend of mine who, who runs a tiling business, a commercial tiling business. And he, he called me the other day and he said, a guy called me and said, I got a job I want you to quote. And he said, okay. So he went and quoted the job. It's in Arizona, somewhere like that. He said, now it's $750,000 job. Do you want the job? And he said, he said, I hesitated, but I said yes. Because in his mind, he's thinking, you know, if you've got a $750,000 job, that's a couple of hundred thousand dollars worth of material. You've got to write a check for it to get before you do the job so that you can get paid for the job you just did out of your bank account. He didn't have, he said, it's not that, uh, that I couldn't come up with $100,000 or so, but he said two or $300,000, that's a lot of money to deposit to get the, before, and you're paying payroll on top of that and on the, all of that. But now this is a $750,000 job. Believing the unbelievable and receiving the impossible. It's causing us to stretch. And he said, yes, I'll do it. The guy called him a couple of days later. He said, listen, if you need an advance to go ahead and buy the materials, just let me know how much you need. I'll send you a check. And he said, oh, by the way, I got seven other jobs just like that one I need you to do. Where's Mr. Timmy? Mr. Timmy, when you're sowing, when you're a farmer, which he's retired now, retired from farming, right? Not for the kingdom, but for the work. Okay. What's the hardest time of year when you're a farmer, what's the what's the time that you work the most? Harvest. I'm gonna tell you how many times I called him and said, "We're, we're, we're, we're what you doing? What you? Well, I'm still working, and it's almost dark. What you doing? We got to get these peanuts out the ground. The sowing part, and then you water it, and you ride around, and you mend fences and fix equipment. But when the harvest comes, what do you do? You stop everything. I mean, every, listen, put your homework down. Everybody get your coveralls on and your work boots and let's get load up. We're going to get the harvest, right? I mean, people always want, I always said, uh, you know, uh, when corn comes in, I, we like that corn. We, we love to cream that corn. But when the corn came in, you know, Casey showed up with a truckload full of corn. Not wrapped pretty in the back of his truck. I, everybody, come on, let's load it up. So we loaded up in the back of our truck just a couple of years ago. We took it home. And at this point, we lived in the townhouse. Boy, you knew the Clampets had come to town then. So I backed the truck up. I backed the truck up to the townhouse, let the tailgate down. We throwed a sheet out in the middle of the, of the living room. This was on a Saturday morning. Throwed the sheet out on the living room and just started throwing corn into the townhouse. And our neighbors walking around going, what are they doing? Y'all want some corn? We shucking, but we'll give you some. How many of you know that took work? And we didn't have one of them fancy contraptions, you know, that, that he built that you hear of. You know, we had to cream the corn the old-fashioned way. We cut that mess off and put it in the blender. That blender was like, whoo, dear Jesus, give me a break. But when, that, but when it came, we stopped everything for that day. That whole day, we didn't do nothing but let, sit in the floor and shut corn. 
you know, the, the silk. I had to come up with some ingenious way to get all them little. Because, you know, when you don't do it a lot, you know, you're like, this is a mess. So we got over there with that sink and we were scrubbing all that. And we had a little assembly line going zip, zip, zip. And by the way, when you cream corn, it tastes real good. But I wouldn't advise eating a lot of it. Uncooked. That's all I'm going to say about that one. No need for colon cleansers. Just eat you some fresh cream corn uncooked. My point is, believing the unbelievable, receiving the impossible, requires us to stretch out there and really believe God and put action to what we've been believing. This is what we've been waiting for. What is it that you've been waiting for? expand, enlarge yourself to really believe God beyond what you can. One of the things that I admire about these children, our children, they don't have a concept of I can't afford it. They just, they like it, they want it, they desire it. Mama, can we get it? What are we supposed to be like? I'm trying to get you to stretch I'm getting you ready because there's some things that God wants us to do as a church that's going to stretch us. I don't want to live and get to the end of the line and stand before Jesus and he goes, you did a great job. Here he is that you led God. But there were some areas that you let religious, small town, small church mentality weigh you down and you didn't reach your full potential. I don't want to be like that. I'd rather be the opposite. Like we're believing God for such big things that everybody else is going, y'all crazy. Listen, God working in our lives always causes the hearts of people to be turned around and moved towards us. It doesn't mean negatively or positively. He said that when they heard, listen, when they heard that the waters, what God had done for his children, it said that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Not because of God, but because of the children of Israel. So when he saw what God did through them, their hearts melted and they melted because of what God was doing through the children of God. Not because of what God did, what they did, what they did. When God starts moving in our lives, it always causes people around us to be looking at us, either negatively or positively. But listen, they look at bad press is good press. People going to talk, they going to say what they going to say when they want to say it. What as long as they're lifting up, listen, talk about us. The more you talk about us, the more we raised up. Oh, well. <laughs> listen, I don't have time. I don't have time to mess with people that talk. I don't have time for it. I love you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to lift, but I am not going to spend 95% of my time with the people who give no percentage of their life towards the kingdom of God whatsoever. We're going to go after 
the ones that are hurting, the ones that are hungry, the ones that are desiring for God to move in their life. Those are the ones. I don't have time. Jesus didn't spend time trying to, trying to negotiate with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was always breaking cultural and economical boundaries in every area of ministry that he did. He didn't care. Lord, what are you doing talking to that woman? And he would always say, your mindset, listen, turn back to Joshua chapter 1, and then you can turn back to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Whatever mindsets that you've been carrying around as it pertains to church, whatever mindsets you've been carrying around as it pertains to Christianity, is dead. It's not going to work anymore. It's time for us to arise and go over. And the children of Israel experienced this firsthand. So what was the first thing that they did in Joshua chapter 5? What did they do? The Lord said to Joshua, make a knife and circumcise them. What was circumcision? What was circumcision? It was a sign of the covenant they had with God. Anytime you get ready to cross over, which they had already, anytime you get ready to possess what God has called you to do, you need to be circumcised. You need to be reminded of the covenant that we have with God. Glory to God. We serve a God who is not limited by resources or economy. Let me tell you something what the tithe does, okay? The tithe insulates us from the tragedies that happen in this world. It, I've seen it time and time again. The tithe insulates, why? Because that's God's mechanism, that's what God has done. He has given us to partake. It's like salvation. You can't receive the benefits of salvation until you reach out and receive it. It's the same thing. There are things that God is calling us to do that we've got to step over into and partake. And I'm tired of this watered-down Mickey Mouse. I am. I think the sale of this building, all it's done really, and, and things in my own personal life has just really made me want to be like, well, I got, I'm going to be wasting time. Let's believe God for four more buildings. Let's believe God for this. Let's, you know, let's really dig deep. What is it that God's calling us to do? What is he asking you to do? We don't have time for you to make $10 an hour. We don't. We don't have time for you. There's too much that we need to do for the kingdom of God. There's a lot of unworld, ungodly people that are making lots. And you're going to tell me that that money wouldn't be better suited in your hands, someone who's a kingdom person? The only way to possess, the, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this firsthand. The only way to possess the land is to be, have, the, have the mentality that it's yours and that you can possess it. You're never going to possess the land with a Babylonian system mentality of borrowing money to possess it. Verse 9 of Joshua chapter 5. You ready? Verse 9, he says this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. This day. Turn to your neighbor and say, This day. 
Shamelessness is always a result of the covenant. If you've got shame in your life, it's because you don't realize, haven't been reminded, or you have not been, have that part of you circum, you've not been cut off from the law, from the Babylonian system. Shame is always the result of not knowing who your daddy is. It's not knowing the covenant. Shame keeps you from seeing the very person that God has made you to be by reminding you of the person that you used to be. Shame, I'm going to say it again, shame always keeps you from seeing the person that God has called you to be, made you to be, and equipped you to be, and keeps you focused on the person that you used to be. You didn't, you, listen, your life has been, if we've been crucified with Christ, that means that stuff you did was crucified with Him. That stuff you do was crucified with Him. And I'll go one more step further. The stuff that you may or may not do has already been crucified. So that shame, shame is the one thing that keeps people in bondage. Shame. My God, if you did something and it was so terrible and this, that, and the other, then pack up and go to another state. Don't let shame keep you down. I mean, I know ministers, pastor friends of mine, people that have fallen and walked away from everything. And I've said to one, I said, man, listen, you got burnt, you got crucified, you did some things over here. Don't let that affect the rest of your life. Pack your junk up and come here. Don't nobody know who you are in Tifton? <laughs> come on. Go where God, you got to go to Hawaii. I mean, that's a good opportunity to go to Hawaii. Don't nobody know you in Hawaii? Go to Cuba, Puerto Rico, Guatemala. Go somewhere and let God use you where people don't care. They don't care about what, they, they don't. Paul himself stood to the very people, to the children and the women and the husbands, the, the men that he crucified for the sake of Christ and looked at them with such a passion and such a conviction. And Paul said, I have wronged no man. Because he knew that he had been circumcised, that that old man was dead. And he said to the children of Israel, he said, he said to Joshua, This day I have removed the shame of Egypt off of you. See, it took them five minutes to get out of Egypt. But it took 40 years for Egypt to get out of them. I remember... I'll give you an example and then I'll move on. I remember when I was at Beach Project with Campus Outreach that summer and I remember dealing with the salvation because they, they there was such a law. It was a good heart, but it was just wrong. It was implemented wrong. It was law. I was taught to have a, you know, one time in the morning discipleship with the Lord and then, you know, the rest of the day you're supposed to be meditating on that and it just put bondage on me and, and then they kept asking me, when were you born again? I, I, don't, I don't remember being born again. I always remember just being born. I just remember, that's what I remember. I never, I never really, I never took that opportunity to exchange what God had done as a child and, and give it up for my own free. I just, 
stepped right into a man adulthood and I just kept on walking with the Lord. I never, I didn't have that conversion moment. I'm telling you how many people told me I wasn't born again. And the enemy would lie to me and tell me. I mean, it was tormenting. It was absolutely tormenting. And then the Lord said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. I had always believed in my heart and I had always confessed with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Shame was trying to be put on me, was keeping me from stepping into everything that God had had for me because of shame, because law brings shame. But when I was reminded of the covenant, it's amazing how one word from God will change your life forever. I remember when I was, a, I was shamed because, I, you know, when you mess up, you didn't feel like you could go to God. You know, I'd been messed up. That's why when, when, when we mess up, we run. Because the byproduct of shame is what? Running. With Jesus... God loves us so much, he did something so powerful, he removed that ability of that, the power of that thing on the cross. So it doesn't matter what you do, you can run right into the throne room and go, I messed up. And the Lord goes, what you talking about? I remember, I remember being in that position, and I remember sensing that, and the Lord said, Son, listen to me. As only God can do, your Father, He arrested me in my thoughts, almost to a point where I don't know if anybody else heard it audibly, but I did. And I was, at, I was there with those people who taught me a lot, but they taught me some things that weren't grace. They were law. And He said to me, just like He was standing in front of me, He said, I want you to understand that I am always with you, never leaving you, never forsaking you. So develop a consciousness that I'm with you at all times. People say, well, when do you spend time with the Lord? Right now. I'm spending time with the Lord right now. Less what? When I go to the bathroom, I spend the time with the Lord. When I take a shower, when I mow the grass. Sometimes it's when I disconnect my brain is when the Lord really starts talking to me. Guess what? When I spend time with Casey, the Lord, I'm spending time with the Lord. Why? Because the Lord's in him, the Lord's in me, and we're spending time together. So we both spend time, we're on a double date with the Lord. Shame, the reproach of Egypt, will keep you from stepping into that place. Let me go on, okay? Shamelessness is always the result of not knowing your covenant. You've got a covenant. When he reminds you of what you did, you just remind him of what God did. It's covered under the blood. Then they celebrated. Always take time to celebrate and remember. They celebrated with the Passover. Always remember the covenant that God did. Always go back. <coughs> Excuse me. Always go back and remember what God has done in your life because it, it positions you to receive the next thing. They had to remember the Passover, how the angel of death passed over them because of the blood of the Lamb. And they remembered that. And it put them in a position where they were ready mentally, physically, and emotionally, and spiritually. They were ready. Then what happened? In verse 12, it says this. 
Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate of the food of the land of Canaan that year. Listen to me. If, you, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Listen to me. The Lord gave me this. Let me tell you this. Manna sustains life. Fruit promotes life. Manna sustains life. He's not calling us to just sustain life. He's calling us to produce life. We are life producers. And when they, when they celebrated and they remembered from that day forward, listen, at some point you got to grow up, right? One person said yes. At some point we have to grow up. He never intended, listen, he never intended for us to just receive manna all the time. Because manna is not producing life, it just sustains life. Manna is for you and me while we're in the process of getting Egypt out of us. And at that point when we get Egypt out and we remember and we have circumcised and now we're ready, there's an adult phase of Christianity. I know that's not been taught, but there is an adult phase of Christianity. He's not calling us to be bottle suckers. He's calling us to be fruit producers. And they stepped into this place. Listen, would you, and there's some people that would rather get government help than kingdom fruit. Nothing against that. We need, we need men. We need each other. We need those moments. when. But the, but the government was never designed to do it. It was us. It was the church that was designed to do that. Why? Because the church knows that I can't do this for you forever, but I can get you to a plate and I can help you and I can teach you and I can pour into you to where now you reciprocate that and now you're not just a leech on the system. You're a byproduct of the kingdom of God producing fruit for the kingdom. We don't have time. We don't. We don't have time to lay around and just bask in the sun of manna. We've got a job to do. We've got stuff to do. And it's going to take work. It's going to take resources. And it's going to take us. Man was never created. Man was never created to not work. He created work in the garden. He said, here you go. He, he provided everything that we needed. And then he set man in it. And he said, now tend to it and keep it. What happened is the sweat of our brow now is the curse. Work was never the curse. It was the sweat that's produced by the work because we're working from a position of failure, not a position of productivity. See, you can work and work and work and work till you pass out. But because you're working with the wrong mentality, you've got the children of Israel in the desert mentality. But when you work in, from a position of rest, you can be tired but be fulfilled. He's wanting us to engage the system that we live in with a kingdom mentality and produce fruit. He's calling us to work. He's calling us to work. We need volunteers for anything and everything you can think of in this transition. Everything. 
I mean, we gotta got we gotta buy we gotta find chairs that we like, we gotta buy them. We gotta find a building to put those chairs in and we gotta buy it. We gotta get that building ready. We gotta get our people ready. We gotta get everything ready to launch One Love City Church. We've got banners and signs and flyers. We've got advertise. We've got all this stuff that we've got to do. We've got to buy a sound system. We've got to set it up. We've got to break it down, possibly, if we can't get in the building that we're really looking for. We're probably going to have to meet at a temporary facility. So every Sunday, we're going to have to tear it down and set it up. Set it up and tear it down. Let me reverse that. Every Sunday, we may have to do that for a season of time. Why are we doing that? So we have a place to meet? No, because people need to hear what we have to say and what we have to express. But it's going to take work. There's going to be people that are going to come in. They're not going to look like us, talk like us, smell like us, or be like us. It's going to take work to bring them in, love on them, pay things for them, buy things for them, help them, disciple them, teach them. I mean, are you, are you with me? But we need to do that from a position of rest. Once we acknowledge and embrace the covenant, then we begin to produce, not just partake. You ever, you know, give, okay, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. See, the problem is we've been partaking of the wrong thing. When we begin to produce, we've got plenty to partake of. Now we're producing something that's beneficial for more than just us, but for others. We're producing something. The kingdom of God is about production. He wishes that none, none should perish. He counted it done to such a degree where he said in 1 Peter, by my stripes you were healed. Our mindset, listen to me, Moses, your mindset is dead. The shift happens now. It's got to take place now. Matthew eleven twelve says that the, the kingdom of God surfaces violence. And that the violent take it by force. There's an aspect that we've got to go get it. We've got to go get it. Manna didn't just fall down. They had to go get it. The Lord said to me not too long ago, he said, <coughs> He said, I'm not, I'm not asking you to pay for it. I'm not asking you to produce it. I'm asking you to believe God and sow it. God's going to take what we, he took that woman that had, just that little jar of oil to Elijah. And he said, what do you have? That woman's husband left her in debt to such a degree where they were coming to get his ch their children for slavery, which they would never be paid off. And she said, help. And he said, what do you have? And she said, all I got is $20. All I got is Whatever it is, all I got is a nest egg. All I got is it. All I, what is it that you've got? All she had was a bottle of oil. He said, "All right, go and borrow and get and bring it in and then fill it up and fill it up." And it just kept going and going. The Lord said, "Son, I never called. I never asked you to go generate money. 
I never asked you to go generate provision. All I'm asking for is to be a conduit that you would believe God. Let somebody write you a check. I know you're always here on the front, so I tend to gravitate towards people. But I know you and I know what you're believing for. So I know that it's not your responsibility or yours to write a check for that. It's His. You just say, look, what has God said? Let me say this. What has God said? Quit trying to talk it out. Quit trying to reason it out. What has God said? And when He says it, you write it down, and that's it. You don't budge from it. You don't move from it. He said, I would have my own business one day, whatever it is, whoever that's for. Then bless God, then you say, you said you, I would have my own business, and I believe that, and it's still there year after year after year. Then you stand on it, and you wait. It's not your job to make it happen. It's your job to just be sensitive to watch him bring the provision. I don't know. Somebody could approach you and say, we want to, uh, what is it called? When you branch out, what's it called? Franchise. Somebody may call you and say, we've been watching you for a long time. And we like that business. Somebody could walk up to you, Casey, and just say, I got, I got some jobs in Atlanta that need to be done. And they big jobs. And you got to hurry up and find you some people. But that's, but that's provision. What is it in your life? What has God put inside of you? I knew there were some specific things that God put in me that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I would not turn loose of it. And that some of them still haven't been manifested, but some of them have. And people tried to talk me out of it. People tried to talk me out of it. Mm. Surround yourself with people who will talk you into it, not out of it. Now, verse 13, and then I'm going to close with this. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. Underline that word, looked. He looked. And behold, a man stood up opposite him. The man drew his sword. He said, are you for me or are you for them? He said, no, I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord. And he said, what would you have me to do? And he said, take your feet off. For you on holy ground. In other words, acknowledge that you're not going to do this. How many years had they circled around the desert? How many times do you think Joshua looked at the land of Canaan? How many times do you think he looked? How many times had he seen the very land? Just another night. He's looking at it and he's seeing it. How many times has he looked at How many times have you looked at that thing in your heart that God's told you to do? How many times have you looked at that thing that God wants you to have? Listen, Mark 11, 23 and 24 says, Whatsoever things you desire. Not what he desires. How many times have I said to my children, How many times have you said to them, How many times have you said to your children, Sweetheart, honey, what do you want? Well, I want, I mean, Brim Brim's new thing is they got this Barbie plane now. What's it called? The Barbie jet. And, and the Barbie dream house. I mean, the Barbie. And, and Brim Brim's like, I want, I, I, and then I got excited. I saw it. I said, Brim Brim, look. 
Barbie's got a jet. We got to get the jet, baby. And then they go, oh, it's probably only about $50. Listen, nothing Barbie makes that big is $50. And, and, and the Lord said, it's like the Holy Spirit came down to me. He said, son, what do you want? What do you desire? The Father's heart is to bring your desires. Well, what if I got evil desires? How can you have evil desires when the spirit of the living God lives within you? And the Bible says that the word of God is sharper and he divides what's, you, what's your flesh and what's your desire. As long as I've known Casey, he's always wanted to have, he's always wanted to expand his business to be a blessing to the kingdom. As long as I've known Langston, he's always wanted to step into everything for his family. As long as I've known more, as long as I've known some of you, the things that you desire, pay attention to those and guard them and protect them and give that to other people and let them help you. You can trust them. You can trust him. You can trust them. Say, look, I, I'm wrestling with something. I, I believe God wants me to have a jet one day because he wants me to, to preach the gospel to the kingdom. You better not give that to some crazy fool that don't believe for nothing. You better submit that to somebody like, say, look, can, is this me? How many times had he looked? Now watch this. How many of you know that the chapters were added to the Bible later for our reference? Same thought, same train of thinking. Verse Chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. No one went out and none came in. So they knew they was on lockdown. The children of Israel coming. I mean, your enemies know it, but sometimes you don't know it. Verse 2, you ready? And the Lord said to Joshua, See. Did you get it? Verse 13, Joshua, looking at Jericho, lifted his eyes and what? Looked. And in verse 2 of chapter 6, the angel of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, See, listen to me guys, and I'm going to close with this. There's a big difference between looking at something and seeing something. The problem with the with children of Israel in the desert, in the wilderness, is that they saw, they looked at the land, but they didn't see it like Joshua and Caleb saw it. They didn't see it like Joshua and Caleb saw it. Joshua had to hold this thing in for all these years. And he's looking, and he's looking, and he's looking, and he's looking, and then one day the Spirit of the Lord came up to him and he said, See? It's a big difference. It's what I wrote down. Looking only acknowledges the presence of something. But seeing it acknowledges the possible possession of it. 
When you look at something, <clears throat> that's why he said he'd give us the desires of our heart, not the wants. I mean, I don't know of any boy growing up that didn't see a Lamborghini Countach and didn't want a Lamborghini Countach. But is it a desire? <clears throat> I would look at people who were married and had kids. But there was a moment when I began to see a family and I wanted our family. It didn't become reality until I saw it. I didn't just look at it. I saw it. What is it that God has put in your heart? Are you looking at it or are you seeing it? have to do anything. He wasn't doing anything different. Just the Spirit of the Lord came up and said, see I've given it to you already. When are we going to stop letting others and religion talk us out of what God wants to do through us? And I'm talking not just corporate, I'm talking individually. I'm here to tell you that there are things in your heart that God has put in your heart. Don't look at them anymore. Stop looking at them. Start seeing them. I see myself in that new building. I see myself in that new house. You know, it's okay for you to believe God for stuff. Stuff sometimes is what I don't know, it's like it cements us to what God wants to do. Anytime God would show up on the scene with somebody, what would he do? He would meet their needs or their wants, and then they would follow him. It's okay. We wanted to build a house so that we could have people in the house. And what do we have? People in the house. We, we may have to have church in the house. <laughs> what is it? It's okay. It blesses God to fulfill the desires of your heart, especially when you, no, not especially, period. He wants to fulfill your heart's desire. What is it? And Caleb at 80-something years old, after they'd got into Jericho, after they'd conquered, he said, look here, uh, I want my mountain. God is a redeemer of time. You think you've lost out, but he's a redeemer. He can, he can redeem the years. I'm tired of looking at clocks. I'm, I'm done looking at clocks. I'm, I'm wanting to look inside. What is he saying to me? And I'm going to follow my desires. See, I don't know what kind of relationship you got with God. I know what kind of relationship I got with God. I know what I've been doing. I know what I've been reading. I know what I've been listening to. And everything within me screams out, let's get it done. What is it that he's put in your heart? And don't let anybody take it. Stand to your feet.
you keep looking, how are we going to possess the land? Let me tell you, Mark eleven twenty three. whatsoever things you desire, when you believe, you speak, you call, you declare, that's how you receive it. You say, Father, this thing you put in me, I declare I will be in the ministry. I declare I will be whatever you fill in the blank. I declare I will be out of debt. I declare I will bring my loved ones to Jesus. I declare that the kingdom of God shall be made manifest in my life to such a degree where everyone that's around me hears it, sees it, and experiences it, and their hearts melt, and they come and say, What must we do to be born again? He wants us to be that example, to be that expression. He wants to raise us up to such a level where people look at us and it draws them closer to Him. He said, if I be lifted up, who lives inside of you? Then we lift up the name of Jesus and He works through us and in us and pulls us into places of influence to where He raises us up. Don't try to raise yourself up. Let God raise yourself up. Because then it will be an example and people will come and you will be in a position to say, it's Him, it's not me. It's Him. Come walk with me and talk with me and let me show you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you. For what you're doing in us and I ask you to solidify these things in us so that we may leave this place and be transmitters of the kingdom of God let us not be concerned with the way we used to do things in the old system let us now circumcise our hearts and say, I have a covenant with God Almighty that I will be blessed going in and blessed coming out, that everything that I put my hands to will prosper, for it is you that has given me the power to get wealth so that I may establish your covenant upon this earth. Father, we thank you for it. We believe it. In the name of Jesus. Just lift your hands and say, I believe it in Jesus' name. I receive it. I receive it. I'm not dependent on manna anymore. I'm going to be a fruit producer. I'm going to go possess what it is you've called me to do, and I'm not going to let anybody talk me out of it. I'm going to possess it in the name of Jesus. I will have what you said I could have in the name of Jesus because people's lives are at stake. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you why don't you hug on everybody? Why don't you not everybody, but some people encourage them, bless them, stoke that fire, and we'll see you Wednesday night for some work.